Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Ask Industry Podcast, episode 120. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, character comedy. Simon Munnery is a comedian best known for his characters, Alan Parker, Urban Warrior, and The League Against Tedium. He has an experimental style of comedy, both in terms of performance and the language that he uses. He's known for his makeshift and elaborate props, and is often labelled as surreal, and we get into why he thinks that label doesn't quite sum him up, and he doesn't quite agree with it, as well as how he made his TV show, Attention Scum, from his bedroom, and why he has an aversion to social media, and so much more. I really enjoyed this. I got so much out of this. Me and him have been trying to put on this episode for a while now, and uh, we, we sort of touch upon that in the episode, so I won't ruin it too much, but uh, uh, I, I will just quickly say, as a, a sort of, I will sort of say as a side note to this podcast, I live in Rickmansworth in Hertfordshire, he lives in Bedford in Bedfordshire, and for some reason we both thought the other person lived in Luton, so we arranged to meet in a pub in Luton, where Simon goes to have a drink before local football games or gigs. Uh, we do get moved about half an hour into the episode, because there's a well, a football game on and they want to watch it and apparently our podcast doesn't take preference over a football game. I personally disagree, but I don't want to have an argument with them because they were being kind enough to let us use the space to record for free for half an hour as it was. Uh, I've managed to cut down some of the background noise and some of the uh, sort of additional football cheering in the background it's pretty minimised but I just wanted to flag it I am aware there is a bit of background noise before I hit play if you're new here please don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to give us an honest ideally positive review in iTunes and either way please do consider joining the Facebook group it's called RC Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook obviously but for now without any more delays this is Simon Munnery is title of your show any room can be a panic room if you overthink it oh i thought you were going to ask what the show, the title of the podcast was. oh no <laughs> i don't know what the, no, the, did you do a show that is my that is my current show title because it's, it's been uh boggling my mind for a bit any room can be a panic room if you overthink it if you over any room enough. can become a panic room if you overthink something enough okay it begs the question what is a panic room oh okay 
Oh, that's interesting. If you don't know what that is, I'm worried that other well, people. Well, I had I had what I previously thought of as a panic room. Yeah. And it doesn't add up with that sentence. So that's what. I, what, what is a panic room? As I understand it. Oh, now okay. I'm worried that I understand. Yeah, it no, you, you may well be wrong. Um, or, or oh, one yeah, of us is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to. I now I want to Google it. Um, a panic room, as I understand it, is a room that you go into um, when there is so like a like a bunker, like a like a. Um, like Churchill's bunker would have been the panic room that he would have gone into to get away from when they were bombing London. Right. I well, okay. I had in my mind it was something sort of room you go into which is soft and it's like to to calm you down when you're panicking. Oh, okay. No, that's not what I had in my head. Right. At all. I don't. The, 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 is it a, okay? A bunker. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it's like a it's, it's it's meant to be a play on mental health because yeah. it's yeah because it's like, like if you sat like me often if you're sat in a room and like you see a girl you like and you overthink how you can even go and say hi yeah. you're panicking that's, I, that's, I sort of get the gist of it I get, oh, I get okay, what you meant to say <laughs> I think well, I think I've just registered this with Edinburgh. God, okay. right? <laughs> <laughs> I spent hours on this the other day no, it's fine, something may come of it no it's fine it's, oh yeah I like that any, anything any room could be a, well okay it's not that well known as a thing in I, I, I don't know a panic room but you assume that's the room you go to when you're panicking. Okay. That's, that was my a panic room. And then if you overthink, obviously, if you overthink anything, you can panic. Yeah. But, but, it, but it sounds like a panic room is like a, you know, like a, a, a picnic room where you go to have picnics. Yeah. A panic room is where you go to panic. But any room could be a panic room if you overthink it. Enough. Yeah. What's a, what's a panic room? Do you, yeah. Why would anyone have a panic room? Oh, my God. I love it's that. a room you go to to panic. I love how much you've overthought. <laughs> <laughs> title about overthinking. Tasty your own fucking words. Um, no. oh, I'm really worried about that now. What was your? Well, don't panic. No, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it right now. What's your What's your Edinburgh title this year? Uh, Alan Parker, um, Warriors Farewell Tour. Oh, okay, cool. What's why? Why are you bringing back the character? Or have, you, have you ever retired? Have well, I've done it for ten, twelve years. I've done it occasionally. It benefits, but not for, yeah. not for a long time. Yeah, but it's not like a retired character because you've just you've yeah, just, no, it's been fallow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I did it at the Bill Murray uh, a month or so ago. Oh no, yeah, it does work. It's, you know, oh, I remembered it all mostly. <laughs> since then, other bits, I thought. So that's that, and I've got one really nice new joke that has come to me that occurred to me, and I thought, oh yeah, so that'll. Uh, so you know, that, that's what I'm going to do. Is it like a best of then? I'll do best of plus the new bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's but, like, the, but by the you keep the one by the time I finish, there will be other new bits. It's sort of yeah, that's but I've got a, a solid base, so yeah. Say, so without having to do any worrying, but. I'm, I really don't want to stop doing my sh- current show, The Wreath. I just think I really like it. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a narrative arc, and people seem like it. So, uh, so I'm Bristol next week, this coming week, and then Soho Theatre, but, and I've got one more gig in Bedford. But uh, I'm going to see if I can book some more. I just yeah. I don't don't want to stop doing it. Well, let's let's, let's let's start with Alan Parker then. Okay, you haven't done it for ten years. Roughly, I mean, you know, occasionally benefits. I haven't yeah. done it. I haven't done a full twenty minutes or yeah. or an hour. And that's so. Alan Parker and League of Tedium. They're like the they're the two against, characters. League against, so Tedium. League against Tedium. God, so, all these years. So, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the ones you're most known. for. What a bad night it was. League of <laughs> uh, uh, when you overthought it. That's the. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're they're the two characters you're most well known for. Are they? Would be well according to Wikipedia. Definitely. Okay, fine. Okay, and that's obvious. why would that not be factually accurate? No, no, it could be. Um, but just you said it with such authority, I believed you. Oh, okay. Well, okay, let's start there then. Wait, what, what about the character Simon Runnery? Well, okay. You know, you're right. Not as well known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who? When? When you think 
when when people are searching for you online, who do you are, think? Are they? What, is that what they do? <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> oh, I'm here. It's your, it's your daughters, but I'm not online. It. They're yeah. just like, hey, what's dad doing? Um, I, I was wondering what 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 made you want to bring back Alan Parker then, and like, was there sort of a, 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 a market? for it is there's like people saying we want to see it again like or is it just I, you you've decided on it i've no idea um whether there's market for it i um uh barry ferns of, of um Angel of the bill barry said do you want to do a sort of uh, one on a sunday every month and do mm. you know your back catalog mm. i went yeah okay let's give that a go so i did uh that concept and um Alan Parker and the Reese, which is the new one, but, but and I just no idea how it go, and it went really well. And in the process of sort of trying to remember it all, or some of it, I uh, I came up with a new thought that made me laugh. And uh, and after I'd done the show, I thought, well, that's a show. I don't really, you know. And there's another thing I really want to do, like camera based, and I tried that out, and it worked, but that won't be ready by August. Uh, I thought, you know, you've got to decide what you're going to do. Mm. And also, from bitter experience, although I did it for two so I'm booked. <coughs> I've got a sort of semi-permanent uh, erection. No, um, <laughs> booking at the uh, stand, or have been mm. for about six, I've been in the same room, same time for 16 years. And I did film the camera base show uh, twice, and it took me two years to realise it's exactly the wrong room. You do, do something entirely screen-based mm. because okay, you got you can have a big screen uh, on the stage, but half the audience because the shape of the room, half the audience sit to one side, so they've got to look out across another section of the audience to another <laughs> screen in the distance. It's like watching TV, uh, you know, from half a mile away. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it would be the wrong room to do that. I'd like to do it properly in something like a effectively a cinema shape mm. um, but I've already got this from books so that's, so, yeah, yeah. So that's sort of narrowed down my choices so I put, I put that on the back burner I know what I want to do with it uh, and the little bit I tried at the at the Bill Murray works I thought oh, yeah, no, that, I'm on something there but um, that got on the back burner I, mean, I, can, I can work on it but I'm not going to do it in Edinburgh this year that'll be next year if I'm still alive yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, no, I, I just wondered how you picked what you were going to do with Edinburgh and what your relationship is like with Edinburgh because like you just said you've been going there for well, Donkey is it, is it yeah. 16 years or is it longer than that I, and it's I, just... I don't I'm very bad at dates but okay. originally I was on a five year deal on a handshake with Tommy Tommy <laughs> Shepherd. Oh, Tommy Shepherd. yeah I yep. uh, should come back for the next five years yeah fine uh, or was it my suggestion I can't remember who even who suggestion it was anyway the five years elapsed and I just carried on yeah 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 so I probably overstayed my welcome but <laughs> Um, what was that deal then was it like you get the room or like you're going to come back for the next five years oh it wasn't like a a split deal that sort of thing or was it just we want you here for the next five years no I don't know if I asked I just really loved it there and I don't know I don't remember which way around it was it was very late at night yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. 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 so it was a five year like a five year quite Stalinist five year plan (laughs) Um, but anyway I just carried on going there um well, I've done I've done gigs in other places, you know, shows in other places as well, but that's kind of like home. Also, I rent a flat above it, so it's all kind oh, of really? it's very handy. Walk down to the gig, 
Is that why? So I remember I bumped into you when I was I was watching a show at the stand. Yeah. And you you were just sort of hanging outside. So I you were just my dog. Just, I yeah. have taken him out to his wheez and poos. Yeah. So you to, so you just walked down to get outside for a couple. It's quite of a long way down, but yes, I just just oh, walked I didn't down. Know. I mean, eventually I was hoping to install some sort of winch system. I could be lowered <laughs> onto the stage and then raised back up when. Could you not turn the living room of that flat into the venue and just really cut out all the? It's a very small flat. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's nice to separate your life and work a little. I, I yeah, think. but it doesn't sound like you're doing that. No. <laughs> so, so why, when you first went to Edinburgh, what was the reason you went? Oh, cool, that's a good question. <laughs> which isn't a good answer. Uh, it's not an answer at all. Which <laughs> you is, just want to compliment my questions, I'm absolutely happy to do yeah, that for the next hour. <laughs> it's a rhetorical ploy, isn't it? That's yeah, a good yeah. question. It sort of changes the tone. Yeah, yeah. Why did I go I won't to, get distracted why with did compliments. I go to Edinburgh? The first time. Do you want to paint me a picture of where your career was at when, when you were going up? I was 19. I was at college. I'd done um, footlight smokers. And so I'd, I'd, I'd got the bug for performing. And there were auditions, or maybe there were auditions, that I can't quite remember, to be in a show called... Uh, uh, it was a theatre company taking a show up to Edinburgh uh, that year, whatever year it was, um, and they were doing a production of Zola's Germinal uh, and a review entitled Jane Austen colon not colon just, uh, <laughs> just Jane Austen colon Jane, colon did not use the term of abuse as much as it could be no. you, no, rectum you might call something you probably wouldn't oh, you are but no yeah. you colon. You can't turn every word into an insult, otherwise we'd just... Really? Be, <laughs> you've been on Twitter recently then, I take it. <laughs> it's a good challenge. Um, uh, called Jane Austen, colon, astronaut, question mark. Do you get that? Yes. Really? Okay. Just about. What, in what way? What? Well, now we're, now we're just analysing titles. Um, it's it's we, my main occupation. We started, so did you write the word question mark, or did you have the... No, I didn't write it. It oh. wasn't my title. I was just invited or to auditioned to be, no, <laughs> to be part of this. And it was called Jane Austen, colon, astronaut, question mark. Okay. What is that? Uh, now name? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, a long time ago, there was a TV show called uh, The Six Million Dollar Man. I'm aware of that show. Uh, and uh, the, the opening titles began with Steve Austin, astronaut. They changed it to Jane Austen, <laughs> Astronaut, right. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. No, I don't <laughs> think. Even at the time, I don't think it made any sense at all. Anyway, so it was. Um, so I did. I was in a, one sketch, and I had two five-minute stand-up spots. That was my. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to. I really got got the bug for doing gigs. Um, yeah, but so, what, but what did you know about Edinburgh at the time? What what, what was it to you? Yeah, before going, I didn't know. I, I'd heard that it was, you know, this massive uh, uh, festival of, of theatre and stuff. I didn't know, but uh, something's going on. You kind of, you know, it's like, if, if, you know, as you said, do you want to go to New York? I'd gone, yeah, not knowing anything about New York particularly, but like, do you want to know what what it is? Yeah, I suppose curiosity. Um, yeah, no, I, it just seemed a thing to do. Okay. And and how long after that did it take you to develop your first show? 
Or was, or was it not on the horizon? You were just writing at that point? As well, no, I wasn't writing. As well as, <laughs> uh, still not, as well as that. What was that? Okay, so one of the, uh, yeah. Uh, also, that's, we, I'd been doing Double Act, God and Jesus, in, uh, uh, at Cambridge. And mm-hmm. he was up, Steve Cheek, Double Act partner, was in uh, a much higher ranked theatre company. And what were they doing? Uh, Spring Awakening by Vedekind, something like that. Oh, anyway, they were doing. He was in other plays, so we did. No, we weren't a double act then, because it was our first ever performance. We got together and did a the first ever performance of God Jesus at the. Um, yeah, but we came back and did it the next year. Sorry, got that wrong. Okay. Uh, all events. Um, so we decided to do a double act at. We did it at the Fringe Club, which was the, where Teviot is, now, where the where Gilded Balloon is now. Mm. At the time, that was the Fringe Club, so there were showers and uh, uh, you know food. It was basically the Students' Union, and um, they had a couple of venues, both of which, as I if I remember correctly, and I don't, but were kind of bare pit. So you could just book a slot. We booked a slot, and we went on, and died spectacularly. <laughs> Like late and live now, that sort of thing. Or? No, late in life, like it was. I don't think late and live now is. It's still pretty much a bear pit now. From I went there a couple of years ago, and it it just I left after about half an hour because I was a bit like as much fun as this is to watch, like comedians sort of do their time. If you like, no. um, it's it's not going to be fun for the next four hours or however long the show goes on I, for. I, yeah, but late in life, well, maybe you know, m- memory. Taints things by late and live down the, in the, in Cowgate. Gilda Bloom then was uh, it was a bear pit. It was a very exciting bear pit. It was like sort of that's where everyone went after work. Right. It seemed to me there may have been other late night venues, but I didn't know any. Mm. So um, and it was they would it, it wasn't just people doing their time. It was either they booed you off or they loved you. It was kind right. of a decisive kind of thing. So you could storm it. Or die on your ass, yeah, uh, uh, and be heckled off. Like it was, yeah. it was kind of a vicious uh, and exciting type. Anyway, but the the fringe club that was, you know, raucous. I'd say. Um, Think about late night. I don't know. I haven't done it for several years, but the last one, it's kind of. Oh, they don't. Maybe it's just me, but they seem to be pretending to be. They get a whole video about what late and live is like, and then they sort of mm. on the screen in front of them, and then they sort of try and act that out but uh, it's not what it was yeah but well, my, my, my. yeah, yeah. Um, so when so let's let's go to when you were starting so you started performing at 19 yeah ish okay and my first paid gig at 19 oh okay so how, how long have you been performing for before you got your first paid gig uh, not very long I don't okay because a lot of people now the circuits have changed quite a bit and it takes quite a while for most people to get their first paid gig. At least, at least paid gig so that you make a profit on the gig, not just yeah. you know a tenner for petrol or whatever. Yeah, this was uh, twenty-five quid, which in those days you could buy a house. Okay. Uh, a tiny, tiny house in, yeah, in yeah. Liverpool. Oh, that's good. Um, you still can actually. Yeah. In some districts. Uh, no, the, it was 20, <laughs> twenty-five quid. I don't know, reasonable amount of money. Incognito booked the gig. It was, but I've been doing open spots, so that's mm. how that came about, and you know, going well. I suppose so. I've been doing, you know, performing about probably about a year, but that was my first pay gig. Was at nineteen. Okay, and w- w- when you were starting, 
what was your character like or what, what were you like on stage? First thing I did was, uh, well, the very first performance I did was um, utterly deadpan, very angry, uh, footlight smoker, where I, the opening line was, good evening, my name's Matthew, no it isn't. I chose, um, no it isn't, I was just pretending as a kind of joke. I chose the name Matthew because it sounds nothing like my real name, Matthew. Another little joke for you there, not as good as the first one. Anyway, <laughs> that it went on, uh, and it, uh, five minutes over, but the, the end of it was I had a cooked tomato in my hand throughout. Now, uh, now another kind of joke for you, and I splattered the cooked tomato <laughs> on my forehead, sm splashing the entire front row with cooked tomato, and they went, slapstick lives, and walked off. And uh, it was just, I got, it's a bit like if you're unlucky enough to go into a casino and win £100, you'll probably be back. Yeah. So my first gig was so ex exciting and uh, for me, I got, I got the, you know, the bug. Do you, do you remember the first joke you wrote where you thought, this is what a comedian would write? You know what I mean? Like from the comedians that you looked up to when you first started, what, what was the first joke you thought? this is actually like a professional level joke never thought like that at all okay uh, like well that's right there's people like uh inf you know, people who maybe sort of want to start because they used to have uh they used to have comedians come up to do you're the mic slightly nearer just because they're they used to have comedians come up to um cambridge were like arnold brown he was brilliant uh maybe john hegley came uh, ian mcpherson but um uh, and uh, we got Steve she got me to Ted Chippington the various people but I didn't want to be them particularly or uh, I never thought of it like that so, but we just so, well one thing we did it was one particular night we sat around it was me Steve and a couple of other people Connell Orton Nick Hedges maybe someone else just sitting around in a pub trying to think of the most offensive possible joke you could think of um which we came up with, and then that was, that was, we then had the challenge to then do that. And it was a joke, uh, which I've heard subsequently told back to me by a taxi driver who'd won a competition in America, in New York, a joke competition with it. Um, and it is appalling. There you go. I won't ask what it was. What, I won't ask what it was. What do you get if you put a baby in a liquidizer? I don't know. An erection. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking awful. I know. The, the noise you get from audience would either be, it's so awful that it's either a, a just ha 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 or Yeah. It's what was interesting in, was, was just pro pressing the, you know, the limits of what, what can you say on a stage. <coughs> mm. um, so that, that, it was a kind of pursuit of, of offence was one element of it. Uh, I don't know what it was really. That that, that to me is really so. How how old were you at that age? Tw early, early, not twenty. 20 so. Yeah. So because now there's a lot of PC culture. There's a lot of safe space comedy. There's a lot of you know you can't you quote unquote you can't talk about this, and a lot of unfunny, edgy comedians saying, "Oh, I should be allowed to make a joke about anything." When the reality is. They're just saying horrific things, and yeah. and it sounds like you were trying. As well as yes, yeah, oh, definitely. I, I, I can see, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's something in that, I suppose. Uh, 
what is the stage? Are you? I, I think you should be allowed, not allowed, but um, it's okay. You can think anything you like in your mind. You thanks. Can, <laughs> one, I mean permission. Not you. Yeah, <laughs> you've heard what I think. <laughs> I've heard what you. I'm sick of your thoughts. No, uh, one. But what is in more interesting is what you can say in front of other people and that makes people, that's a kind of that's a more real freedom mm. than the, the freedom of thought so I was interested in, in that uh, um, and, and of course what's fu- you know is it funny is it not so but in those sort of in taboo areas there are laughs mm. there's also massive offence but it's like can't make an omelette sort of thing without yeah. smashing loads of eggs Anyway, so there was a, a period of just trying to be offensive, just trying to be offensive for its own sake, to offend everyone. <laughs> not, not racist, particularly, or sexist, or anything, but just offensive. Just, yeah. like, to make people go, oh, a bit. I remember the first time, and partly uh, is to blame, is, uh, who's to blame is Jerry Sadowitz, because very early on I was at the comedy store. I don't think I was doing a gig. I think I'd gone down there to see if I'd get an open spot. And there'd been... Uh, you know, several acts on, and there'd been an American comic on, and he'd gone quite well. I maybe laughed a couple of times, like, yeah, it's good, isn't it? He's good. And then uh, Jerry Sadovitz comes on and goes, Hey, fucking eat fucking American comics like, and names the bloke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then he goes, Ah, they come over here and they say things like, yeah, Have you ever noticed how blind people can't do crosswords? Have you ever... And then he, from then on, he was telling jokes that were so, uh, so fast and so offensive. Uh, that there were different uh, uh, waves of sound crisscrossing the audience. I'd never heard anything like it. Like there were some people are laughing at that joke. Other people were going <gasps> at the one before. And it, it was uh, sort of I thought like watching the Sex Pistols. I imagined. But um, I thought ah, that's, there's a whole bit that hasn't been explored of what mm. can be done in, in that sort of area. Um, so I was a big fan of him for a bit. I didn't go and see him anymore. It was, once was enough. But, um, Forever. Oh no! I, think I saw him. What, I saw one more gig a few years. I got his album, the um, oh, Gobshite, I think it was called record, uh, and I went to see him another gig. But by then he got he was sort of famous for being offensive, and he got kind of hoisted by his own petard. I thought in that it meant people would come along to be offended. That means he had to up the ante and be even more offensive. I mean, I'd never heard of him. I didn't know anything about him when I first saw him. It was amazing. When you know he's going to be offensive, it just doesn't work quite as well. But he's still going, so God bless him, good luck to him. The, the, I mean, so I, I know a lot of comedians who are known for something. So, like, they're a character, like Al Murray, for example, he's known as that character, and so he can't break away. Stuart Lee, for example, known struggles a lot to break away from the Stuart what he Lee is. character. Yeah, he had to sort of put a mask on, and, and then, and then you know, the bacon face thing. And immediately everyone was like, but that's just Stu with. Yeah, <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't done much work here, but no, like you, you put a mask like on. Come on, yeah. I mean, nice try. So, so were you ever? Did you ever feel pigeonholed? Did you ever feel like uh, when people booked you, they were like, "We're expecting you to do this set or this set of jokes"? Uh, well, I normally, well, to be honest, so then after God, God Jesus, or sort of, I was the security guard. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very specific act, deadpan, jokes about security. Yeah. So I was booked for that. I'd have the security guard costume, just very much. And then, so I do Alan Parker and Moyer, loose, um, anarchist, very different. So I'd be booked for one or the other. So I didn't feel pigeonholed that way. I just made my own, well, I made my own pigeonholes and then they, you could select which one you wanted, I suppose. When you started, there were character comedians you looked up to. 
or that you oh, or yeah. that you felt like because everyone when they start now you you kind of see em- elements of their favorite comedians in their act and i wonder whether you at what point you realized maybe you're you've you've sort of broken away from maybe the people you liked or yeah, i don't know i mean that the deadpan thing was very much from ted chippington right it was, I mean, more than we realised. I didn't, I never thought constantly, oh, I'm going to ape Ted Chippington. But there was something about his voice found its way into. So I suppose Joe Brand as well, when she was the sea monster. Something, something about the deadpan thing. But there's other people as well. Michael Redmond was a bit, bit mm. deadpan. There was a sort of, uh, you know, deadpan. I, I don't know. No one invented, or someone invented it. But yeah, people did. I liked that and wanted to do that. But I also wanted to do other things eventually. <laughs> so. What was the question? <laughs> Just ask how you were. Yeah, um, fine. fine. Uh, uh, well, no, because it's it, from talking to people who started around the same time you started. There were obviously a lot less people on the circuit, and so and obviously there was a lot less gigs. But it felt like that meant if you did something different to what most people were doing, yeah. you stood out a lot more than you you could do now. And as a result, I'm thinking if if there are a lot of people doing deadpan, or if there are a number of people doing deadpan, and you did that, I wonder whether that slowed you down getting gigs or whether there were just enough that you could make it work or I have no idea what about that like I got gig gigs went well I got another gig you know mm. got an agent did any gig you know rang up got open spots did gigs got paid 20 to that you know, half spot full spot regular like the chuckle mm. club and the red rose and there was a big there was a bit of a thing where I changed from being the security guard to doing I sort of stopped doing the security guard sort of but you know can I do Alan do my new character Alan Parker and thing about Alan Parker to begin with it would only work one in three times uh, I think at some places I did open spots again going back, back. but you know it took several years for it worked you know more consistently but even then occasionally people just think it was real and <laughs> <laughs> not recognise it you know, but there we go that's uh, occupational hazard sorry did it affect how many gigs I, I can't tell how, how it affected how many gigs I got I just yeah. wouldn't be able to work that out how, how did you have a day job when you first started? Uh, not really. I mean, he, after college, I did several jobs just to pay off my debt, sort of thing, but um, not a serious one. So mm. it just you know um, worked as a temp and uh, dustman, but it was, that was part of temping actually. Like wherever I could type, so some days I'd be typing, other days I'd, if they got a dustman short, I'd do that. How long did it take you to? be full-time as a comedian and then I went on the uh, enterprise allowance scheme this really helped a lot of a people lot of, it was just re- because you didn't have to start in fact, yeah. I, I became unemployed in order to get on that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was just it's do, crazy doing jobs. but it was just oh, so you don't you get 40 quid a week it's mm. not you know no you but, but it's you enough, don't have to go and waste your time signing on you can you're free and you can uh, you know, ring up people and try and get gigs, and you know. So, but you're you're basically covered. I think mm. it's a really nice. I quite like the whoever idea it was for just a, you know, universal minimum wage. Just pay everyone some money so they don't have to worry. Mm. Just get all that worry gone. Then would the world be a better place? Yeah, I don't quite know how that would work in practicality, but I like it as a theory. Well, why don't you know? Uh, it would just work. Just everyone gets paid some money. Because where does all the money come from? Well, that's, where does it come from anyway? That's what I mean. Like, well, I, I don't yeah, understand enough about quant- it to me. Okay. Like, if we're someone says to me, we're going to get 10 grand a year. Quantitative easing at the moment. They're, they're pumping millions, billions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that, and that's okay. all dreamed well, up. Well, if it's sort of pumping it there to the banks on the hope that the banks will then lend it out to, you know, what are you doing exactly? Yeah. If you just, just put a, just a huge, big, not big, just a, a little safety net yeah. for everyone. 
And the sort of the idea, you know, the welfare state uh, or unemployment, it, they've made it harder and harder. There's more and more hoops to jump through together. I think just from my experience, for the year I was on that, you know, that helped me a lot. I didn't have to worry about anything except, you know, doing shows and trying to get trying to get work, you know, to pursue what I wanted to do. Mm. Now, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I was pursuing it. Yeah, yeah. And you're free to do that without having to go and explain yourself every few hours. I remember when I started, I did Logan Murray's course, like this was sort of eight, nine years ago, and uh, he, he told me about the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, and it, and it keeps coming up, the amount of people that that sort of just helped support, like a safety yeah. net. Not just comedians, artists, no, musicians, yeah, everything. Yeah, those, yeah. those people, it's just a... It's safety. But I think it should be a universal thing. This, this whole idea of... It doesn't exist anymore. For, I know. Yeah. The whole idea of forcing you in, into menial work. Also, it means there's more people... You know, menial work should be slightly higher paid because it's so menial. That's what I'd say. And by forcing people who don't really want to do it to do it, you, you deflate wages in the menial work sector. Mm. That's my I, view. No, I, I get it. I just... I, Free money for everyone. <laughs> See, now we're talking. I can't understand how that would work. Free but, money for everyone. But a minimum amount of free money. No, I want it to just be... Max. I just, I just want to go to a cash machine and be just, like, I'll have five just, grand, please. Yeah. No, oh, enough to live on. So you, don't, so, so you don't have to worry. Then there'll be less mental health problems, less health problems, less burden on the NHS. Mm. What about the immigrants? Well... <laughs> Sorry, I knew you were going to ask about the immigrants. Yeah, that's all I talk about on this podcast. Is we talk about how we're going to solve Brexit. Let them in. That's what I see. Well, let's. Because you can't stop them. Okay. Mental health problems. Long coastline, see. We're on Three ships. We've got three ships. You can't stop people coming in. It's a shit. We don't have enough. If only they forced them into Coast Guard work, then they could stop them all coming in. That's it. Like. As illegal immigrants, they come in, we turn them into coast guards. And they stop anyone else coming. That's right. That's, that's the... Brilliant. You listen, Teresa? Yeah. Nailed it. I don't think it'd be Teresa by the time this goes out. No, no. <laughs> Surprise, it's her now. Um, yeah. Right, let's talk about... So you mentioned mental health problems and, and stuff like that in that, in that area. Mm. I'm wondering whether you ever had imposter syndrome when you first started out. When I first started out? Or even now, whether you've ever had oh, it. It's more likely, I don't know about now, but yeah, like, what am I doing? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, like, oh, I, I shouldn't be here, or like, I don't... Whether you've ever felt like... An imposter. Uh, you're going to get found out, or that you're, or that you're, you know, other people are better than you, and you're just sort of in the room somehow. Yeah, I think that happens, uh, yeah, you feel like that every often, but it's a cloud that passes. But actually a geek is kind of like that anyway, it's like, it need necessarily, you know. however, you're only as good as your last geek, there's that uh, particular idea, but you, when you go on stage, it may not work. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, that's a, a classic sort of imposter syndrome thing, like, yeah, or, and anything you rely on, oh, my, your, I think always think of it as your back pocket joke, you know, it's going to get you out of jail, it's not going very well, I'll just reach for that. By the time you reach for that, it's too late and it's yeah. turned to sand, it's just nothing. So I suppose it's, a, it's an occupation that is prone to imposter syndrome. The act of being on stage is kind of like, uh, um, you know, and even if it goes well, like, did it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you, uh, this is the thing I've been thinking about. Is like you could get really big laughs, right? But they might not be for how? the reason. <laughs> I'll tell you, tell me I'll tell you the secret. Oh, I've just worked it out. What? No, but you you could get really big laughs, but it could be for not the reason why you think they're laughing. 
Like if you were doing a character yeah. or you were saying something. So that's, that's why I think it pays not to inquire too much about that. You maybe get a sense about it, but I mean, the famous John Cleese got psychoanalyzed and then ceased to be amusing. Mm. I mean, that's the story I heard. Yeah. I'm not sure it's quite true. There's something about the more you look in, you know, and analysis is no, isn't it? Like the comic instinct, you should sort of, Ooh, does that work? But that's what a comedian's talk. Does it work? Not why is it funny? Is it funny? And I'd like I'd sort of distinguish between jokes, like material. That's a funny thing. But it's it's all in the delivery and the and the context and clowning. And clowning is more like inviting people to laugh at you, so straight down through the full line, not material. So clowning is not about. But both those strands are sort of incorporated and amalgamated somehow in a stand-up comedy form. So yeah, are they laughing at me or with me? A uh, laugh's a laugh. I don't know. I don't think it matters matter. so much. I like clowning and uh, I like a nice joke and I like a nice thing, but uh, and somehow perhaps you can combine them. Um, it can be very unpleasant if people are laughing directly at you. One of my worst experiences on stage was it might have been Preston. It might have been Liverpool Polly. But anyway, we arrived. It was on the National Comedy Network Infinite long tour and the been on the road for a week or two weeks just tired two of us three of us the Ents manager of that particular college had left and the new Ents manager didn't know there was a gig on so there were no posters there's no advertising there's no venue there's nothing and we're thinking well results you know we get our B&Bs we, we, we get you got £10 a night towards your B&B and uh, you're meant to get a, a meal and quality lager that was always on the <laughs> Whatever, and then say what sort of quality. And um, but the Ed's manager didn't just, you know, okay, it's cancelled. So we'd call that, a, you know, one one nil away away win. He went, no, we're going to put the gig on. So he put it on in the bar. Right? The, dream, the dream, what, the dream situation. Dream situation at a bar. The rugby club had won or lost one of the two. And um, uh, I did say there was a football match on. It is. <laughs> wasn't lying. No, no, not not in London. That's Cardiff Chelsea. That's in Cardiff. Oh, it might be a different one then. He had, um, anyway, they built this stage out of some tables, coffee tables. Can I just say, I love how she's turned the volume off, but left the game on, yeah, yeah. as if as if we might still want to know the score. Oh, yeah. everyone knows, it's very important. Yeah. We'll, keep, um, we'll keep you updated on the score, guys, don't worry. Yeah, it's nil-nil, nil-nil. If Cardiff lose this, they're probably relegated. If Chelsea lose this, uh, they won't. Um, My audience are very hot on football, I'm sure they, re- I, mean, I mean, this is going out after the game, so oh, okay. they will know the score, but oh. I think we should definitely keep okay. them up to date. So the... <laughs> They built the stage out of uh, metal coffee tables and they put some lights in. Anyway, the audience, there weren't an audience, there were people at the bar. Mm. So they, yeah, it was a terrible gig, but as it just a wall of noise. And then at some, and the lights were really bright and you couldn't really see properly from on the stage. And at one point I slipped off the coffee table stage onto another coffee table, which was, a, which was metal, and just took Ooh. the front layer of my shin off. <clears throat> right, and that got a massive laugh. And I remember lying there bleeding on the floor <laughs> while people were pissing themselves laughing thinking yeah <laughs> not sure why I started doing this job <laughs> yeah. yes maybe yeah it's not so, not so nice feeling yeah well you know most gigs are nice so how, how do you how do you help the cloud of imposter syndrome move on what's your tactic when that happens I would just pass you just you just write it out just, yeah, think about something else. Go on with something, do something, talk to someone, I don't know. It, it, it's, not, it's not something I'm prone to. I, I, I think I know what you mean. What am I doing here? I suppose I, I'm not that comfortable in groups or uh, even in any sort of company. I'm quite, quite happy on my own, really. Um, I like a bit of company, not, you know, 
but uh, that'll do. Mm. Don't expect too much. You know, if you, it's always the thing about what do I look like? You know, people look in the mirror, what do I look like? Concerned about their appearance or what other people think of them, but they never think, oh, look, those other people might be worrying what other people think of them. It's like a hall of mirrors. Mm. Yeah, move on. Do uh, look at that. Mm. <laughs> Just change your focus. Don't worry about yourself. Get be if you can. Uh, it doesn't help saying don't do something but so i'm guessing outside of character work you don't necessarily like when you go up as you like as simon you don't think what what do i need to wear on stage it's kind of if i'm a character i have a like with the a security costume, yeah. i have a costume but when it's you you don't think i need to look a certain way i tend not to although for the, the show the wreath show i'm currently doing i've got very deliberately i've got a sort of bit like a cowboy hat and a I wear my coat, this coat, which looks, I think, I like to think sort of a bit sort of um, American Civil War, Confederate, hmm. uh, a bit, so sort of slightly cowboy look, mm. but that's because I, I, I come on, I've got a whole opening uh, based on Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is about Billy the Kid um, re- dying, uh, but it, it works for me. <laughs> but anyway, so that is a, a certain look, but after that, it's whatever I'm wearing, really, that's yeah. my costume. I just know a lot of comedians have a look or have a, have a vibe or even a uniform yeah. if you like. Milton Jones always used yeah. to very specifically had to have a tank top. But, um, I don't think he needs it. don't think anyone needs it generally. Like, I, I've had like specific things and then, oh, I've forgotten my lucky plimp soul. <laughs> and you do it at a show anyway. So you didn't need it. And oh, I've done the same with props as well. You don't need it. Yeah. Uh, and it, I don't think it's a good thing to get hung up on one particular thing. You mentioned that you, you got an agent quite early on. Mm. How did you decide to go with that agent? Are you still with the same agent? The whole, I've the left whole? now. Oh, okay. So how did you decide to go with that agent originally? And why did you leave in the end? Uh, after the Footlights tour, I did the Footlights um, show. It was various, you know, and part of the idea that I think it's agents come and pick you up. And I invited several agents uh, I had meetings with. <laughs> One, I went in for a meeting. He said, uh, so, um, you know, we'd like to, to sign for this. And I said, well, well, yeah, and what would you do for me? Well, you might want to write for Tracy Ullman. And I, I just, that's the last thing I want to do in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, no. The, the one I went with was the one who said, I'll get you gigs. Uh, okay. Live work, live work. Yeah, I'll get you gigs. Yeah. We, we take 15% to begin with, but that'll be going down to 10% in the future. It never went down. Um, <laughs> Is that uh, why you left? <laughs> no, no, that isn't why I left. I left because I was scared to leave. What? No, after a while, no, I'm scared to leave because of all the stories I've heard of other people who left. So I, I don't want to live in fear. So, And they were getting me no work. But that, that is, <laughs> there it is. That's a, that's a complaint you can't have against all agents. Yeah. You're not getting enough work. Everyone says that. But it was like, oh no, I'm sort of living with this fear of leaving. So let's confront that fear and get over it. So that's the other agent I went with who said he'd get me live work and he did. So God bless him and thank him for that. Because mm. uh, that was the thing I felt most, you know, hello, could I have a gig? You know, when someone gets you gigs, yeah. that's, that's what I'd like an agent to do, get you work. Yeah. Yeah. So how long were you without, are you still without an agent? Like since you left? I've got, I've got a, a, an You've agent. You've got another now. one now. So how long were you without an agent? Probably a couple of years. A couple of years. And then... Ha- We could go outside. Yeah, do, do, can we go out? Can we go somewhere else? We can go outside. Hey gang, while past Simon and myself are moved from the pub to allow the footballers to watch their beautiful game, here's a quick advert for you to enjoy. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Some of you got an ad, some of you didn't. If you did get an ad, congratulations. If you didn't get an ad, well done. I don't know what that is about. While we're advertising things, uh, Simon and I are going to the Edinburgh Festival with two completely separate shows. Uh, Simon's I don't still have the name for, so uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, but I know it's at the stand. As he will mention in the next part, he has been there for a number of years. So it's definitely at the stand and it's definitely at 7 o'clock. Just search for Simon Munnery Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, I'm doing a full run at the Edinburgh Fringe. uh, And my show that I didn't retitle after Simon pulled it apart at the start of the episode is called Every Room Becomes a Panic Room When You Overthink Enough. If you have a look in the show notes, you'll see there is a link there. It'd be amazing if you could come and see that or support him and go and see his show, or go see both, go see both, that'd be even better. Um, I remember uh, I was sort of in the edit, and he mentioned that he's bad at emails, and admin, and hates screens, so um, while we're moving places, I'll quickly tell you a little bit of a backstory of how this podcast came about. Originally, me and him met up, and I emailed him in 2016, and uh, he never replied, but we kept bumping into each other at gigs and talking about it, and then in January of 2019, I bumped into him, and he said, do email me, I'll definitely do it, and so I emailed him again, and asked him to come on, and he replied to my 2016 email with the opening line, hey Simon, sorry about the delay, which I thought was just a touch of class, I thought that was amazingly great, because he, he could have very easily have replied in the other one with the same message, but it just wouldn't have had the same gravitas, and I wanted to share that with you, because it's just fun as a story for me. So just a heads up, um, there is still a little bit of background noise to where we move to, but there isn't really as much, which is better, I suppose, isn't it, really, for an audio medium. 
Now we can jump back in the pod. I'm pretty sure past Simon and myself have moved into the beer garden now. Cardiff are playing Chelsea. And if Chelsea win, that wouldn't be surprising. We, we've been moved outside, so if you hear birds and things... Planes flying over, we're in Luton. I'd, yeah, I'd be very surprised if you hear birds. Planes is more likely. Um, although, <laughs> we could do that. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, yeah. it's a... Uh, it's both. It's both. It's te- technically, yeah. they're planes. Yeah. They're birds. No, they're not. Um, right, let's... Uh, I've forgotten where we were at, so I'm just going to jump back into where I found okay. my questions. Um, so, you once did a whole sort of bit about a review you got where you were in a Venn diagram trying to describe what they said that your work was like. And I remember that you said it was unfunny comedy or shit art. No, that wasn't... The review didn't say that. Oh, no, you, no, you said that. I said that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I'm wondering... Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to ask you about that bit, but I want to ask you whether you value reviewers or whether you think that they actually help or hinder comedy. Uh, I try not to read reviews, particularly during like Edinburgh... I studiously try and avoid it. I, I might look. Well, unfortunately, at the stand, they have a not unfortunately. I mean, for, for good reasons, they have a board outside with reviews written on it. Um, and maybe they help uh, get people in. So you know, but I think they only put up the good ones. But um, <laughs> so maybe you, you count up the stars. But I don't like go. To the, I don't read it. Um, sometimes afterwards, I read it. Uh, and you think, oh, do I agree with that or disagree? Anyway, that's your opinion. That's, uh, I, I try not to worry about it. Reviews. Does, I'm, I mean, last year someone sent me, this was at the end of the Fringe, yeah. someone sent me a link and I've been avoiding reviews. And yeah. they said, have you seen this? And Oh, no, sorry, this was 2016. And it was a two-star review. And I was like, even if I have seen it, why are you sending me this? <laughs> yeah. Like, it just, I don't need this at the end of the run. <laughs> this is not helping. Um, I appreciate that you know you might have been like oh, you might want to be aware of this. Um, I I assume then do you ever like take Twitter criticism or social media reviews on board? Do you avoid I, I, social media? I, I avoid social, but not not for that reason. It's just um, I come from a time before that, and uh, do you need it? probably I should be on social media more. I have just started a uh, friend just set up an Alan Parker Twitter account, which I'm going to use. But I yeah, I'm thinking how to do that or what to do about it. I've, I think I've done one tweet just to see if it works, but now uh, I've got to think of what Alan Parker would do. That, that's for Edinburgh this year. But generally, no, I value my free time. Um, I've got um, three daughters, and they're on their social media the whole time, and I, I see their faces before and afterwards, and I don't think it does you any good. Mm. Do, you, do you think you've got a good work-life balance? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a no. <laughs> no, one of, one of the two. But a bit of both. Um, yeah, I like, I like. It's nice to see the sky, isn't it? Mm. And um, do things, make things. Uh, rather, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I haven't got much desire to be on social media. So I have got a Facebook thing, but I haven't looked at for years now. For at least a year, I should go back on that and do that. Uh, email, uh, phone, text. That's the sort of thing I respond to. But even then, quite slowly, I'm terrible at it. When I was between the ages of 13 and 16, I used to be a computer programmer and used to write games yeah. for a company in Liverpool. And I spent a lot of time screen. But about the age of 16, 17, I just got sick of screens mm. and logic and typing. And, and ever since then, I've been kind of increasingly screen averse. So I uh, check my emails like, there's always, I've always got a backlog and it's kind of like a chore that I'd, I'd rather do. Any, I'd rather wash up, hoover the house than answer an email. 
but you know then you have to so yeah. you do and but there's it's like a like guilt or shame you know they've got a huge there must be loads of things i just haven't done <laughs> sort of stacked up behind me and and, if, and you think well forget about it. It, it, it if it's that important something would have happened by now you don't have like a fomo like a fear of missing out or anything like that no i don't think i've got a fear of missing out okay. or, no, <laughs> none at all. I, no, it's a, a lot of a lot of my friends who are, are younger than me in this industry. I've I've got this sort of um, I don't know what I want everything. You know, I, I want I want, don't know what that was. Oh. We just come outside to get away from noise, well, and they're so weird. That's right. We're we're you wait for that's fine. How awkward! <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. So I don't even know when it will stop. It's that thing there, but I don't know what it is. Well, that's not so aircon device. Because it is picking up that low hum. Uh-huh. Well, it might be me. I might. Mm, <laughs> mm. Hummings dropped out of popularity, and back in the in the eighties, a lot Maybe of acts used life. to come on and hum. I don't know. I I tell you what, I've noticed. I do recently. I start. <laughs> I, it's, it's the it's the most asshole thing I do, and I've only just realised how badly I do it. I will sing or whistle when I'm in group, like around large groups of people, like when I'm walking and stuff like that, because if they don't know I'm behind them, they don't move out of the way. So if I'm like power walking, power, I'll like sing. Walking. Yeah, I'll like sing really loudly so they know. Oh shit! There's someone moving really fast behind me, so they move out what, the way. What do you sing? Whatever's on my headphones. What? Oh, I do. Yeah, oh, I just chuck into music your and I just start singing whatever it is. Uh, uh, heaven is a place on earth is a personal favourite because you look like a nut job, and you they probably like genuinely on, on Oxford Street. I did it the other day because yeah. I was getting somewhere to a gig, and they just you moved. Make everyone heaven, moved. Belinda Carlisle. Yeah, Belinda Carlisle. You make heaven, heaven is a place, place on earth. Just. Barging, power walking, power walking charging through people. Yeah, just just out with of the With your way. earphones on. Yeah, with my earphones li- on. Because what are they going to do? That's another thing. I don't, I don't put earphones. I don't listen to music. Oh, okay. As a rule. What do you do on a night off? <laughs> <laughs> Bury the goats. Bury the. Um, Bury the goats. Uh, think. Stand outside. Look at the stars. Uh, teach my children maths. Um, trying to get uh, get the guard in on Saturdays and uh, I, the, uh, for the puzzles for me personally the puzzle section in the back no. uh, I work one by one I work through the puzzles with my daughters they don't like it play chess I get them to play, play chess with them um, anything other than I don't know but the, the thing of, of listening to me earphones really, I just I rarely do that I've noticed I, really, I, I could do it I could have it I've got a phone I've got music on it I li- do listen to it I listen to Radio 4 sometimes, Radio 3, uh, the World Service, that sort of thing. It, feel, it feels like you've successfully managed to disconnect from the internet, or you can, without getting that, like, like I was saying, that fear of missing out that I think a lot of people have these days. Because because you think, oh, if I don't reply to that email quick enough, I might not get that gig, or I might not get seen by that person. I'd probably lose out on some gigs. Uh, but often I find the ones where it's, oh, we've got a cancellation. Uh, often, um, uh, what's it, are they called... Uh, uh, Nottingham-based people. Yeah, who are they? You know, ones in Nottingham. N- not, not uh, Daryl. Uh, oh, Daryl Martin. Yeah, what are they yeah. called those? Oh, Just a Tonic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they'll be like, uh, like, I'm an hour late or two hours late with my reply. I never get those gigs. So <laughs> sort of can't be bothered. It's quite a way to. I mean, you're Bedford, so I suppose it's not too far. They got one in Camden. The only one yeah. he, he booked me for one in Camden. I got there. It was cancelled. <laughs> the stage manager got, got ill. I don't. It's not enough to cancel the gig, is it? Anyway. No. Okay, well, I, uh, there's two questions that come out of what you just said. When you were younger, you wrote an NME column for Alan pa- as Alan Parker. Yep. And I wondered how that came about. Whether God. you enjoyed writing... Oh, go on, sorry. 
No, no, God, I, I do not remember how that came about. I was doing the character. Yep. Someone must have asked me, or probably through my agent at, at the time. time. Yeah. I, but I have no idea how that came about. Oh, what's his name? Chris Collins. He was my immediate contact. Is it Chris Collins? What's his bloody name? I sort of remember his face. I can't. Collins, maybe? Maybe not Chris. Andrew. Andrew Collins. Oh, Andrew Collins. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's a yeah. person. He worked at Enemy. <laughs> He asked me to do it. I'm fairly certain that's how it came out. How he came to decide to ask me to do it, I have no idea. Did you... Did I enjoy doing it? It's a bit of a, you know, good discipline. Got to write something every week for this. Uh, so, and uh, you know, and I got some jokes out of it that became part of Alan Barker's set. Enjoy doing it. But, you know, when you have to write something, deadlines, there's a sort of, oh, feeling about that. But um, glad I did it a long time ago. Well, no, I was, I was actually going to ask, did you like moving the medium from live to written like was that easy as a process um when you write something it is a, a, a transcription of your voice mm. that's, that's really what it is so it's more or less think you know sort of speaking as that character uh, alan parker and uh writing down that so it's sort of the same really well no because and, and the other thing i was going to ask you about is uh, i did look into your past jobs before you sort of were in comedy and I looked and saw you were a video games programmer yeah and I wondered whether that had an impact in you starting to make props or make all oh, that get stop it would stop as, <laughs> as I've just adjusted all the levels for this um <laughs> so yeah whether it, whether that had an impact on you being very DIY in terms of props and and prop comedy uh, I've always been very I, I, I like making things you know when I was a child I used to like taking things apart and putting them back together again it was quite interesting how things worked computer programmer uh, has that in, it's more like the, there's probably the two results of the same cause a sort of desire to make things I think it's human mm. make make things I, know, th I like you know think of something and how do you and then you know some, perhaps it's a little bit impossible how do I do it uh, break it down into smaller problems and, and solve it that kind of problem solving I, suppose. Mm. I don't know if I've always been like that but I've certainly been like that for quite a long time I li like making things Given you've done like prop and character the comedy quite a bit, are there any areas of comedy that you would like to be better at that you that you think you'd not be as good at? Um, I've done a bit of clowning, but uh, I'd like to do more of that. Um, that. That would be one area, I suppose. Yeah. Clowning, uh, just straight straight down the line. Clowning. Haven't done enough of that. Haven't been in a double act for a long time. That would be fun. Areas of comedy. I mean, you know, say word comedy, but it's just it's just sort of mm. one field of theatre, isn't it? Really. Uh, no, I'm, I'm quite happy. Okay, doing what I had to. Do you do you think you're famous? No, I, I don't think I am. <laughs> Are you? Am I? Um, when I, I'm just doing a tour, and about um, most venues, somewhere between eighty, one hundred and sixty, come. Is that famous? And actually, in my show, the current show, the wreath, very good. I. Uh, to, to, when I was cleaning the chicken factory, a woman said, um, I hear you used to be famous. And I do <laughs> the anecdote about one time in Camden Town in a nightclub, I nearly got beaten up for being famous, but I got out of it because I wasn't. <laughs> 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 Which is, that happened. So, no, I don't... Uh, famous. Uh, yes, some people... Uh, to some people I'm famous, but very few people. <laughs> so I can certainly walk down the street well, um, depends on the street. Un unstopped. Uh, well, ex except by beggars and you know the police. So no, not famous. 
Okay, and have you ever wanted to be? Because I know you've worked with people who are who are uh, on on the face of it a lot better known than you. Have you ever wanted to be like really famous? Um, no, um, no. Well, I just give you an example why. Uh, I was friends with Mark Lamar I used to go out mm. quite a lot. There was, and then he became he was on the Word and uh, quite famous. Then you know, massively famous, as in on Channel Four, whatever it was. It was me, Incognito, Mark Lamar, I think, and we were all in a car, and then we come to this pub, and then he couldn't go in for a drink because someone would beat him up or would want to challenge him to a fight. He couldn't go out, you know. Like, ah, so it never seems to me that much of an advantage. I would like to be more famous since I'd like. 200 people at my gig rather than 140 but you know that's all right or i'd like a better split <laughs> either way you know i'd like to earn more i have yeah. three daughters i'd like to earn more but I'd you could just charge your existing audience slightly more. <laughs> again i don't think that, that would work either yeah that's true uh, i like i like a, a low ticket price i think it's nice people just yeah. come you know there's always a good thing about comedy it was it was quite cheap it was a, you know it's kind of egalitarian art form if it is that and I think it is but um, no 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 desire but yeah should probably go to some effort Twitter Facebook pump out YouTube videos should be doing that but um, a kind of a fatalist I suppose Let's just see what happens something may turn up because you cause you put a lot of time and effort into making props and, and the shows are very uh, or, or in certain shows they're very uh uh, they've, they've got a lot to them that you put a lot of time and effort in behind the scenes and there's a lot of money that's gone into that so I just wondered whether uh, you're limited in the, your, the intimacy of the shows is what a lot of people I, I feel would enjoy much like Stuart Lee was talking about before where he doesn't want to do like an arena he'd rather do three months at the Leicester Square Theatre for example because I, I think at it's a right certain point, I, mean, I, yeah, I completely agree but I'm, I'm just wondering whether you've limited yourself to, to a smaller audience and then whether you, you've hurt your profitability by being so creative uh it's not for me to judge really i, don't, <laughs> I, I just i just do what i do and uh, i've got away with it so far that's how it feels yeah. to me i quite like where i am i know i wish some more people coming slightly but the ones that come are lovely absolutely mm. the most wonderful audiences so very happy with that just just wish i earned more but who doesn't uh, completely <clears throat> do, you, do you prefer doing clubs or solo shows um i love doing my solo shows is this recently I, mean, I don't nothing it's doing the club um although uh headlining is, is uh as, or going on last going i call last. it <laughs> uh you know i just like to get you know it, uh, normally i get out i do the gig and if i can i get home I, i'm no particular fan of being on last also means you know kind of the audience are tired i remember some some gig in camden it was it was just jammed and they go oh it's really jammed yeah but these people can't breathe and they're all sort of nodding off out of lack of oxygen or oh, I've got to go on after everyone else it's just you know the, the laughter's all gone it, you know it's harder um, first is the best place go on first get it over with <laughs> I reckon I don't mind yeah, I love it yeah. it's nice to do it get out of the house mm yeah I just I I enjoy certain clubs but then there are some of them that I just go I just need I just want to get through the set because the, the audience are a bit of 
are you a rowdy or dicks and yeah. you just go i don't know are you, are you are you able at this point to because of the the money you get from solo work to pick which clubs you do or no no i take wherever work comes in okay I, I no you hear that everyone just email him any <laughs> work yeah i do uh, uh, I come, you know if someone offers you a gig why wouldn't you do it that's why i, I think oh oh uh, all right extreme example what if it was the national front or whatever uh, EDF They're big on this podcast. They do listen. Do they? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm available. Uh, uh, <laughs> but really expensive. <laughs> if you've got 200 people, I'll definitely come. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, so it's it's you know you do your stuff to whoever's there, uh, and you try and create some sort of bond between you. Maybe um, there are some gigs. I did three nights in Amman recently. I had the worst one, worst gig I've had in oh, it must be a decade. Don't know, just got off on the wrong foot, stayed there, got worse and worse. They hated me, and perhaps as a consequence, I hated them. It's just, ah, agony. And I always feel when you've had a really bad gig, it doesn't happen very often, but when you've had a really bad gig, it's just kind of trapped in that room. You're like a ghost. You just can't leave <laughs> yeah. that room until everyone else has left. Or even then, it just sort of yeah. stays with you for till the next gig. Like, the next day, I was like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. I can't <laughs> do this. And the next gig, of course, was brilliant. Well, it seemed brilliant. In, in, in comparison, yeah, yeah. It's also, if you, the... the Converse that if you have a really good gig, the next oh, week's yeah, going to yeah. be shit. Oh, completely. <laughs> it's just that rhythm. So what, maybe what you're aiming for, I think that is the rhythm of life anyways. Ups and downs. You don't really get to choose, you know, with your ups. Yeah. Up, it's either ups and downs or, you know, very slight ups and downs. That perhaps you have some choice over. I did, a, I did a DVD record two weeks ago and the gig the night before was fucking awful. So, like, in my brilliant, head... Brilliant I, was like, I know, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, like, I literally texted my friend on the way home going, that just went really badly. And they were like, are you all right? And I went, you have no idea how much I needed that. Because uh, <laughs> so now, the ass, now yeah. I know that, that yeah, A, I'm going to work harder and B, like, however that goes, it's it, not going to be as bad yeah. as that. Yeah. It's like, also when you try out a new bit of material... Mm -hmm. It kind of works because you don't know. <clears throat> yeah. And then the next time you try it, you know it works, so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that, there's that, uh, is it frissance in the air where it's like sort of... Frissance. Is that the right word? It's, it's, it, there's this vibe in the air of we're all trying, like, you know, especially in a new act, new material night, there's this sort of, you, you know, you, you, you all kind of know that we're all trying something here and, you know, we're, we're having a flavour uh, of it. It's not... There's something false about um, the new act, new, you know, new material night. I was in uh, every other Monday co-op for a long, long time. But there was something odd, you know, that atmosphere. Because people overuse the, uh, well, that didn't work, did it? <laughs> Joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So that, that, that currency gets worn out very quickly. Mm. And I, I think you should, as a sort of rule among uh, new material nights is you should never comment on the fact that it, it went wrong because... Mm. Um, that you, you that can easily be overused right the first yeah. two people can overuse that and then no one else can do it well, i suppose that's fair uh, best not to just just get on with it i i used to do that and now what i do is i always just sort of act like uh, not I don't. I, I once did, and I and I regretted it. I once did. Oh, that did well on Twitter. You guys clearly are. You know, you've you've all seen it there or something like that. And I felt quite bad about that afterwards because I was a bit like, seems like a weirdly arrogant kind of. Oh, you've already heard the joke, sort of moment. Oh, was that? And, uh, yeah. Oh right. You 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 assume. No no no, assume. I, no no. I didn't assume that. I just I just tried not to say it was. You know that didn't work. So I just I just came up with an excuse off the off the cuff to say to them. Oh, you've probably all just seen it on Twitter. That's why that didn't work. I think I didn't it, actually believe that. So I don't think oh, all that room followed me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. I don't. I think you, uh, as a copy, you kind of overestimate. Like you thought that was 
funny. The fact that they didn't doesn't matter. Mm. Right? I, I, the nice way to look at it is uh, they're saving their laughs up for later. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? The, uh, I've had routines, that, you know, there were, there was various laugh points in it that I'm familiar with, and yet, oh, that has that bit didn't get laughed. That didn't get laughed. Mm. It's all right. Big laugh at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relax. Calm down. Don't mm. worry about it. Yeah, everything will be fine. There's that there's that uh, phrase, I can't remember, I don't even know if anyone actually owns it or has said it or whatever, but there's a thing where they say in clubs, you need to get a laugh every 10 seconds. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's, that, was, that was something that was floating around a lot when I did Logan Murray's course. Right. It's like, if, you don't, if you're not being as punchy as that, you're not, you're not, you're not nah. doing your job as a comic. No, not at all. I, I completely disagree with that. I, I mean, I, there is that pressure. Like, there used to be like jongleurs, and people end up in a certain sort of rhythm as well. Yeah. Possibly that reason. It's, it's going to be bang, 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 bang. No, you watch someone like John Hegley, who will uh, be hilarious, but also do a serious poem, a, a comedy gig, a, mm. a, a club gig, you know, uh, and they will go, they will like sit, listen, and it's fine. They're, they're people in a room. They don't need. And it's a you want to hide into nothing as well. Like bang, 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 joke, joke, joke. Too much, you know. Bit, of, bit of light and shade, bit of something else, mm. bit of content, a bit of heart, a bit of soul, those sort of things. It's why I prefer doing solo shows. I think you can put more heart into those, and you can put more. You got more space. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know you can. Yeah, you know, more control as well. Uh, but yeah. From an audience point of view, it's nice to have a variety of things, one act after another, compare. That. He ain't broke, don't fix it as oh. a system. Oh, yeah, I'm not trying to rework the system right now. <laughs> Solo shows only. Uh, well, you, you, you write a lot of one-liners that are quoted by a lot of people, like sort of just, just sort of... Okay. Um, no? Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't, know, I don't know a lot of people. Okay, fine. But, yeah, I'll accept that. Okay. Um, but you've never been... You've never sort of won, like, a best joke of the fringe or any of those sort of awards? I came seventh. Where, did you? I looked it up. I didn't see that. It's one year, uh, one year. <laughs> a couple of years ago, three years ago. Four. Which joke was it? Uh, it was this uh, clown's divorce custody battle. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I honed that joke over uh, four performances during the same gig <laughs> <laughs> at McCunliffe Comedy Festival. It was a late night. Just kept saying when, it. <laughs> I, well, I was on. I was on officially once. Yeah. <laughs> but then I, I came off. I did it once, and it was quite rambly. It was like, you know, I got some friends, they got divorced, they were clowns, and there was a custody, sort of like that. Mm. And then I, I don't know. And, but anyway, I did it four times. <laughs> I said, can I come back? Can I have another go at that joke? <laughs> it's time for less laughs. Mm. But I honed it down to four words. Clowns, divorce, custody battle. <laughs> and um, on the last couple of days of Edinburgh Festival, I was... Um, sitting in St Andrew's Square and with a load of flyers. I decided to fly on my own show, which I hadn't done for years, but I thought, oh, I'm probably afraid of that, so let's go over that fear and let's just do it. Um, there was no one in the square. I was the only person there, or you know, one other person, and there was just no one to fly. They might have been so, all scared of flying. Yes. They might have <laughs> <laughs> They'd had the same thought. Uh, we don't want to be flied. So we're just waiting for people to turn up. But I'm, I'm ready. You've got my flyers. And my stage manager came up. Hey, Simon, do you know um, one of your jokes in your show has been voted uh, the seventh best joke in the, the Edinburgh Fringe by um, the uh, by Dave? TV channel. Oh, oh just no. Dave. 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 <laughs> just, we all <laughs> know Dave. Was, was. Oh, Dave. Anyway, oh, I wish I was called Dave. No. I'd just start a list. I'd be like, Dave's, Dave's jokes. Which joke was it? Yeah. And it was like, oh, all right. I that's my in. Yeah. So I've just got to uh, 
marker pen and wrote on a, you know, featuring seventh best joke of the fringe according to the day so that, that gave me in flyering just, yeah. and by the way it does feature the seventh best yeah. joke <laughs> and uh, then I performed the joke and off to the next one yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. that was my flyering technique um, uh, it was fun uh, the first three first three tall men very well dressed walked up to the bar and I thought right I don't like the look of them I'm going to do it I'm going to go and fly them despite the fact that I don't like them we, so we go, oh, where have you come from Olsen Andrews I went oh golf he went yeah, yeah it's golf. and they were Scottish and um, after a while just chatting you know would you be interested to come and see a fringe show no yeah. <laughs> okay well you know it's, it's hard I realised it would be hard work they didn't look like the sort of people who anyway um, tall posh golf playing um, are you are you Tories yeah. <laughs> and they, and they went uh, yes, I, went, I found them. I found the Get the nets. <laughs> oh, I had fun, uh, but they didn't come. Obviously, uh, I, I don't know whether I was an effective flyer, but I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I did it. Um, it's good to overcome your fear. If you're scared of doing something, do it, and then, well, you know, it's not, it's not yeah, I was going to say, hang on, let's put a limit on that. Shooting yeah. um, children, no, but uh, as a general rule, there's something in that. If you if you notice that you're scared of doing something, then overcome that fear by doing it. Is that is that how you pick your next project? Uh, no. <laughs> what, what am I? What am I scared of? No, it's just if in life, like let's like say how I left my agent, my previous agent was. Oh, I'm scared to leave. Well, this has gone on for several years. I'm living under fear. Mm. Better not. You know, it's good to not live in fear as much as you can. Obviously, there's nuclear war and <laughs> climate change and whatever else, but. Um, if, if you, there's a specific thing that is you know, clouding your life with fear, then uh, do something about it, I think. What are you scared of now, then? You. Uh, <laughs> you this interview. This, uh, what am I scared of now? Yeah, no, then if, I, if there was something, I'd do something about it, I think. What are you scared of? Oh, just dying, you know, having never... You mean in achieved. life, not on stage? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, right? Just Straightforward death, yeah. You know, as you get older, people people die all around you so life is a bit like it's like the first world war but slower <laughs> like, like, it's like the school bell rings and we all get out of the trench and start marching across no man's land and one by one but slower you know mm. one by one oh Jimmy's gone <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and it's obviously at some point it's going to dawn you that at some point you're going to you're go. going to be the last yeah. one yeah, yeah well not the last one well no no, no that means you're the only target left uh, I suppose that's how the I first world right. war worked but yeah, yeah. um just at some point, you're, you're all going to go. Yeah. And that, what is it? I think the fear of death is there's something I should have done. It's a bit like having an email yeah. backlog. There's something. What was it I should have. I think quite often people, as they come towards death, try and sort things out as much as possible. And I haven't even tidied my shed. You know, that's something I put off things. Anyway, I've had a, a life work balance. I've had a lot of life, a lot of, a lot of just time not to do much. So you, so you do have some fear of missing out, but it's just only when you think about death. I mean, we fear of missing missing out what? What, what am I like? A part, I've been to parties, thanks. Uh, I've had sex, loads. Uh, not lately. Um, well, I was uh, going to say, could you stop doing that? No. Yeah, <laughs> well, you can go now. Yeah. Um, uh, what? What? Oh, you know, I'd like to have ridden across Spain on a horse, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, there's not much things oh, okay. like that. Are there any are there any professional things you wish you had done or could do? Like 
like being on a panel show or running um, a, any, anything like that? I don't want, did one bit, I was in Australia, did uh, <clears throat> uh, Good News Week, which is their sort of, um, have I got news for you equivalent? And uh, I was hilarious in the dressing room, in the in the green room, like just, you know, just yeah. but when it came to it, actually the thing it was, you know, uh, look at this image, say something about it. And I'd not been in a situation of being competitively funny, <laughs> yeah. or unless you count the green room as being competitively funny. I, I didn't think it was competitive. I was just being, I, I just enjoyed myself and, you know, larking around. But when it came to it, and the, so the, this image came up, and by the time I found out where the image was, <laughs> uh, someone had already said three comments on it, had nothing to say, and maybe they'd been told in advance. Ah. The whole thing felt like uh, this is a whole different field. I've not had any practice at this, uh, and maybe I could do it. I've done um, news quiz. Uh, that went all right. Yeah, I would like to do that a bit more, but not because I really like that as a thing to do, but uh, that might put a few more bums on seats. I, it's not something oh um, just a minute I've always wanted to have a go just a minute Jenny Eclair I met Jenny Eclair I used to share a flat with her in Edinburgh many years ago but anyway um, and I, she's often on it not often but you know, now and then and I asked her about it because uh, I know a few people have done it um, and it's rigged well kind of rigged in that you, you, you told the subjects in advance so you could just write a one minute monologue about each subject learn it and win the money's not good enough, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough money to do that. Um, and also that ruins it, mm. uh, if people do it. But I would like to, I, you know, I'd like to have a go at that. Um, that's one thing. Um, and any of the others, give it a go. I'd, I think I'd be right. I think I could do it. What, what, what do you find brings people to see you then? Like, is it, was, was it the seventh joke? Was it your social media? Was it... It's definitely flying? not social media, is it? Okay. I don't do any, so... No, but they might, like, look it up and read your read your previous tweets and go, oh, they seem funny. I, don't, I don't do any tweets. I'm not, you, don't, you don't do anything? I've just established a tweet for... Um, <laughs> a tweet... A Twitter account. Yeah. But I haven't used it yet. I've done one just to see if it worked. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't quite worked out what I want to do with it. But an Alan Parker uh, Twitter feed. But I haven't done it yet I just it's it, the you say mechanics the of it yeah, yeah. I just don't know and I also you know so I've got a cart around the what you know it's going to be a, like a picture or something I don't know, I don't know. I'm thinking probably just graf sort of graffiti anyway what brings people to see my show I don't know the mysterious what, how I look at it in Edinburgh is each person that comes to a show is a seed like word mm. of mouth like, be grateful for everyone's there do the best show you can and hopefully they'll tell other people whether they tell them via text tweet or or whatever that's not my business although you just tell people it's kind of your business well, because like, you know, you're right. if you knew that business. everyone was coming as a result of flyering you could just focus completely on flyering if you knew everyone was coming because of local posters yeah. on your tour that's what i mean yeah so i wondered if you knew i, I don't know you don't um know. maybe you could ask oh i do know one thing uh, local radio doesn't work no, I know. <laughs> uh, it's fun to do though because it's less pressure than yeah, I like it. Yeah. Anyway, she got me loads of these local radio interviews, and uh, uh, so one, say for example, was in Norwich. I don't know. Always get a good credit in Norwich, but um, Is Stephen Bumfrey. Uh, I'm terrible with names. Oh, he does a lot. Could, of the, could well be. Yeah. But anyway, got lovely interview. You know, yeah, got yeah. find on uh, Anyway, so I drove to Norwich early. Got there, did this, hung around for us. By the way, has anyone come because they heard the issue? <laughs> no one. Yeah. And the same in Sheffield and the same in Bristol. And I was like, oh, you know, this, this, this is no point. Maybe in the long term, attrition wise, it will, like the next year, mm. people are like, they're going to remember for a year? They? No, no, I don't think so. 
I got, uh, I was in the BuzzFeed's Top 100 Jokes of the Fringe. I was number Congratulations. 80. I was number 87. What was it? And what was every, the joke? Uh, it was, um, if I had a pound for every time my girlfriend has complained about a lack of equal pay, she'd have 70p. Um, and I, <laughs> and I, I remember I asked at every show, and I was like, did anyone get that far down the list, 87? Anyone carry yeah. on reading? And everyone, have a list of up to 100, yeah. And I was literally like, seriously, you're milking it, BuzzFeed. Like... I, I'm no. on the list and I'm telling you now there's no point in doing it above 10. <laughs> like, like, I'm happy to not be on a list if that means that I'm going to be that like, far down. Yeah. I did look at the jokes below mine and to be fair, I was right to be that position. But right. I'm just... <laughs> you should look at the ones above. You know, oh, no, I didn't want to... Aim high. I didn't want to do it. I just scrolled down to me and then just started looking down. Right. Or so I should look at like number 50 and go, right, that's the level I need to that's aim right, for yeah, yeah, aim next year. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> Every year. 50, yeah. I'll try and 10 move, up. I'll try and move up. Uh, so you've you've done TV shows. You've done TV and radio before. You did uh, future fu- future TV. Futative. Yeah, uh, and and that was that was in 1999. Okay. Oh, you know, I'm not very good at dates. Okay. So. Um, and you then did the like the, the Stuart Lee comedy vehicle in 2009. Ah, the patterns are developing. Yeah. yeah. When there's a nine in the year. That That's means I'll be on TV on. this year, this doesn't year. it? I, I was going to ask, what are you it? doing this year? <laughs> <laughs> Something on TV, I imagine. Yeah. It is every decade. When the, yeah. There's a nine in the year. You're back in fashion. Um, no, I, I wondered whether TV had changed, whether, you, whether you'd noticed that as a, as a well, thing. I haven't been on it for a while, so I don't... Um, has it, no, I don't know if it's changed. Has it changed? Did it change between 99 and 2009? Who's the same thing? Footage of, I basically made myself in my room, so that <laughs> didn't really... Um, Count whereas Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle was, you know, with a set and a producer and a director and all that. So uh, very different fishes. Mm. I, you know, quite like making things yourself. And what about attention scum? How did that come about? Out of footserve, and then there was either or, also for UK Play, which I think became Dave, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Um, uh, and it was yeah, the League at Cedium character. And oh, it's back. Stuart, Stuart Lee directed it. Um, what about that? I wasn't very happy with it. Uh, I didn't like the lack of control. There were things I wanted to do, and uh, yeah, wasn't very happy with it. So, but I, I, every so often I meet people who go, "I love that," mm. but I didn't. <laughs> well, we we were talking uh, at the Bill Murray like a month ago, uh, the course thing at the end of that, and you were telling me that you preferred the unaired pilot than the actual content that went out. Unaired pilot. Yeah, you said there was an unaired pilot or non-broadcast pilot that had all the best bits in. Really? Yeah. Did I say that? Are you, are you sure you don't mean Clube Zarathustra? There was there was a Clube Zarathustra pilot that was. Never oh, I might have been that then. Sorry, I might have, yeah. I might have written down the note. Which wrong. was before that. So we made this. So there was, you know, I'd um, I'm having a budget of. Uh, I got a quarter of a million pounds to spend on hats. I remember thinking to myself, I was sitting on the 73 bus. Did they know you were going to spend it on hats? Or <laughs> well, it was, there's a quarter of a million pound budget to spend on stuff. and uh, Hats? What can I do with hats? So mm. various, various hat jokes. Uh, yeah, the, the pilot was made. Yeah, and it wasn't, but it was, it, you know, never went out. I think it might be on YouTube somewhere. Um, I don't think for Attention Scum there was a pilot. Or, but you know, I, I'm not sure. But it, the, the non-broadcast pilot was definitely Clube Zarathustra. I don't think there was. Maybe there was. No. Why didn't it get broadcast? What was the? What was their feedback? Well, it never got a series, so that was. So it was. I mean, it was yeah, great. Uh, 
and then just no decision was made for a long time and everyone right. drifted away so your TV that's how TV was then I'm sure it's not that much different now is you're great you're great you're great you're fired no no it's not you're fired you're great you're great you're great and just silence <laughs> right so it, there's a phrase in uh, Hollywood I believe or just showbiz generally stroke the talent so everyone's going to be really friendly to you. So they could still get back to you tomorrow, like because technically they've never said I no. I think they've all died. Okay, <laughs> and rightly so. No, um, <laughs> it was that was a pity. No. It, was, it was a good gang of people, mm. and it uh, could have gone somewhere. But there you are. These 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 things happen, or Did don't things? Not lots of things don't happen. <laughs> well, f- f- for you, what mm. is the worst part of the Edinburgh Festival? The worst part of the Edinburgh Festival, uh, either personally or professionally. Well, the the last week can be a bit hard, but I kind of relish that. Like when you're really kind of you know you've done. Uh, I take whatever gigs come in as well, just uh, just sort of keeping the adrenaline up. I think that's you get to a stage where you're so tired, but also sort of geek hardened. You, you just you don't have nerves. Like if you haven't done a gig for a long time, you're sort of pacing around, like, oh, nervousness. But when you're so tired from gigs, you don't have nervousness. Mm. You don't, but actually yeah. what you're doing is you're storing up the, the come down from adrenaline till September. Mm. So I suppose actually the worst part is when you get home. I remember I got home before and going like, oh, I'm going to go get in the car and go and get some milk because we haven't got any milk. And then going, oh, I better pull over. I can't, I can't drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am just dizzy from... No, just a kind of residual tiredness after yeah. a, a month of excess uh, you know and sometimes you do seven or eight gigs a day it's nuts yeah, yeah. but I like that I like that excitement same yeah, yeah we've had to add in the second middle bit which I know doesn't make structural sense because it can only be one middle bit but we've had to add in a second interlude because at this point in the recording a group of cyclists came in and made a ton of background noise so we took a 10 minute break so Simon could go and roll a cigarette and get another pint and while I've got you and while Simon goes to refresh himself uh, both Simon and I are doing the Edinburgh Fringe with two new shows yeah that's right I'm going to advertise it again now because I'm going to guess that some of you used your fast forward button in the last one both shows are linked in the show notes I don't know much about his show because I've still not got any information from him Um, however I will say that he's a massively talented comedian and I'm going to go and see it regardless so uh, I'm sure it'll be outstanding and you should definitely go and see it as well link for Simon Munnery's show in the show notes my show is called Every Room Becomes a Panic Room when you overthink enough uh, I'm in the late stages of putting it together and loving it uh, it has jokes theatre elements sound cues um, it's great it's just great I really I really love it and I massively appreciate any appreciate I massively appreciate any support you could give me to share that link tell a friend come along if you can if you can't come to Edinburgh come to a show near you all of that's in the show notes everything and anything is massively appreciated um, I'm doing a lot of previews and work in progress shows and, and so far they're they're going really well. I know that makes me sound surprised. I just mean because the show's pretty different to anything I've done before, so it's nice that they're going well, if that makes sense. I totally agree with Simon in that uh, everyone who comes to your show is essentially a seed 
um, and if they enjoy it they can tell their friends and it can grow momentum and get people to send other people to come down that they've met you know in pubs and back alleys and wherever they've been hanging out in Edinburgh so I'd massively appreciate if you would seed my show that sounded way more sexual than I was expecting it to um, but if you can seed it and come down and see it and then check it out and pass it on to other people or if you can't make it just tell people that would be massively appreciated I've, I've ruined that analogy that is just never going to work now but basically if you can come uh, let's do that let's all hang out and watch some funny jokes let's dive back into the podcast I promise there are no more interruptions until the conversation is over now so uh, thanks for putting up with that but I'd just rather not put in a load of background noise if I can avoid it here we go with part three uh, right, we're back online <sighs> um, okay so one of your phrases if you like or one of the the one-liners you do is um if the crowd are behind you you're facing the wrong way oh yeah i get that and i wondered whether you thought comedians these days are too much preaching to their own choir oh yes <laughs> i have no idea I, oh, okay. I, I haven't seen everyone no so no I can't no really judge. as a trend uh, i mean not as I, in uh, that phrase i, I liked <clears throat> in fact i didn't then yeah, a few years ago, tried to extend it, and the crowd. Anyway, but, you know, the crowd gets behind. I mean, it's, it's a nice phrase, isn't it? The crowd gets behind you. It means you're facing the wrong way. So you should be in some sort of in opposition to, uh, rather than you know, a Nigel Farage kind of um, rally leader. You should be objecting to the general view. That seems to me uh, there's a slight truth to it. And so, uh, it adds to the comedian's lower status than. In society in general, I don't think it makes you lower status. It makes you a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Right. Uh, maybe. Which one were you in, God and Jesus? Were you? I was God. Okay, so you've so you've downgraded technically then. <laughs> well, I, I, it's hard to distinguish the, uh, the hierarchy there. between the hierarchy between God and Jesus. <laughs> uh, I believe they're, they're kind of linked in the mm. Christian theology. Oh, they are, aren't they? It's the Trinity thing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, I'm not very good. They're with all one. Religion. Religion. I wouldn't. Yeah, wouldn't open that can of worms. No, it's good. It's good that the. Uh, Air conditioning definitely hasn't, you know, muffled out any of that. Because no. I'd hate for it <laughs> to get misattributed. So, so if you, so when you are putting together a show, do you ever, in the process of it, or even at the start of it, think about the flyers, the posters, the marketing, the how you would pitch the show to get it into venues? Like, what, what, at what stage do you start thinking about how to tour it or how to sell it to people, the public? No, very late on, if at all. Like, you know, so I've got an agent. They kind of sort that out. I, I sort of concentrate. What, what it is I want to do and sometimes it doesn't come off like several years ago I did a show called Hats Off to the 101ers and other material because <laughs> I was kind of obsessed with the R101 airship disaster of 1934 cause, uh, um, as we all are just out, I think not <laughs> um, just outside uh, Bedford is Cardington which uh, could have been the new Heathrow if it had taken off uh, it, it did take off but uh, <laughs> it crashed anyway this huge airship and this, I saw this one photo I saw an exhibition in Bedford Museum of uh, it was uh, this huge silver airship and a, uh, a man with a horse drawn plough looking up like wow that, mu- that moment must have been you know, horse drawn plough and there's this huge bigger than the titanic huge flying silver thing and the idea was to link up the empire you know, to india mm. and canada um and they they you know that, that was the plan and it all, all all fell apart anyway i thought i'm gonna write a musical about this also the interior of it there were photos of the interior of they had um they had a smoking room mm. <laughs> one of the survivors was in the smoking room oh wow yeah uh the lesson to be learned there yeah <laughs> uh uh, and but all the so it looked very luxurious, but everything was made of balsa wood, so it was light. 
it was a, like a stage set. I thought, yeah. oh, that's quite theatrical. And, and what happened on there, you know, conversations you can imagine on that, that last flight. And I'd, I read several books, I did some research, um, I kept, and uh, my musical, uh, in the end, it was one song. One song and quite a lot of props. I built an eight foot by eight foot expandable proscenium arch. So the opening of the show, I'd go on, lift this thing up and pop it open and it would just expand and fall down and, and form an eight foot by eight foot uh, curved arch. I worked out the maths of how to make lattice uh, go up straight or curve and then made this thing that did exactly that. It went woo, pop and then a couple of struts in. And the idea of that was I could then hang from that cardboard animations for the, uh, for the, for the song. And then, but actually by the time I got that in a suitcase and one cardboard animation, there was no more room. And sort of my criterion, practical criterion for a show is does it fit in a suitcase? If not, it can't be done. Most, I suppose, two suitcases, but you know, you're going to have a lot of mm. trouble touring that. I've, I've done things that required a van before, but uh, I, I shy away from that. And, and, and then the next year, I decided that's how I came up with the film thing because I wanted to do explore the visual and what's the best way to do that? With overhead projector. I ended up with a camera, of course. Uh, that would be the best way. I'm glad I built an eight foot by eight foot for seeing expandable, you know, collapsible, expandable senior art. But, you know, that's in a way what completely wasted effort. <laughs> so how do, how do you judge short term and long term success in your career? Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, judge not. Uh, how does your agent judge <laughs> short term? And long-term? Uh, presumably it's bums on seats. Uh, okay. You know, you know, how much you can uh, charge for a gig. I think that's how it's judged, isn't it? generally uh, how do I judge it well, I don't know if you have a personal different barometer for, for a show or for a thing that you're working on whether you I, my, personally I go on uh, currently like my tour show it's, it's not specifically how much m- merchant it's how much merchandise I sell but not like the money so much as the people who come up after so for a long time I've sold books well I ran out of books for a long time but I've had them we've got a second edition so uh, sell a lot of books and some deep Often, good technique for selling DVDs is to run out of book. No one wants DVDs, you know, it's a, a bygone format. But anyway, but postcards of my painting, I've been amazed. At, there's the queues of people to buy postcards, and they're so nice as well. They just want to spend a pound to have one as a souvenir of the show, but they don't want to spend a five on a book or mm. ten pounds on a DVD. One bloke bought ten. Oh, well, <laughs> or ten, right to give to friends. I went, oh, yeah. Might as well have bought and, a DVD for that money. What man came up and said, I love coming to your shows. Some show he'd been to, but from to be in that audience was the loveliest thing. And I'd never looked at it like that. I thought, oh, yeah. In a way, you always think about what you and what you do, but it's actually about the mm. audience and what it's like to be in the audience. And my audiences, touch wood, are uh, uh, so far so good, lovely uh, on this tour. So that, I suppose, that's how I judge a show. Uh, practically, how I judge a show is, you know, if, I, if it's... If I don't do it very well, then no one will buy anything. It's just the people coming up afterwards. And, you know, I, I like to change the Scarmore. I saw, you know, um, I, I saw, I saw your double act uh, thirty years ago. <laughs> oh, a regular customer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you another thirty years then. So your thirty years, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand nine, keeps coming back. That happens. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or they'll, they'll tell me about some gig that I can't remember. Yeah, I've done a lot. It's you do have uh, you do make a disproportionate impact on people because it's a job. You don't. I, f- I think a lot of comedians don't think about you know that one gig that you did that you thought oh, I didn't do my best or whatever. They yeah. actually remember you and think oh you were part of that evening out and it was part of our life outside of your work if you like. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I do think you comedians tend to undervalue. Well, 
uh, undervalue what they do a bit because you can easily say to yourself, oh, oh God, what have I done with my life? I've just made some people laugh a bit. But actually, that's not that's no bad thing. Mm. But, you know, it can seem kind of ephemeral, kind of, you know, I haven't built a cathedral. Mm. <laughs> you built a, a collapsible. <laughs> I built a collapsible. <laughs> eight foot by eight foot for senior march. What do you want? Mm. Well, it is a kind of cathedral, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you, and, and you work with Go Faster Stripe to, to produce DVDs? So, several DVDs, yeah. yeah. How, how is that as a process versus, say, for example, like you said, trying to put together TV shows or other things that were maybe not I, made? I don't think it's very different, you know, film a thing. No, no, uh, generally DVDs tend to be uh, a show filmed. Mm. So there's not really much process to it. You just do the show and they film it. Although the film and the film macro and film were, well, it's, it's pre-filmed. It doesn't really need filming because the whole thing is filmed. So that, that was maybe slightly different. But generally do a show and they film it. Um, quite a nice process really I, I don't think I, I personally don't like being filmed I don't think, I don't think it adds it just adds an extra level of nervousness which you don't really need so. well, once it's been so like some of your work's on YouTube and once Is something's it? been put <laughs> you, you really need uh, to get on social media right. there's loads of it right, out there right. you're, you're everywhere um, but uh, if anything it's pretty much you and Paul. am I a meme uh, I can make <laughs> That's you a my meme dream. if you want my dream is, is to, to be, be a meme, meme. <laughs> I dream to be a meme <laughs> Well, th- there is stuff out there on you, and I wondered, and by the sounds of there's it, you didn't even know you. it was there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, evidence, basically. No, there's, there's, I, I, I'm guessing from the way that you didn't know it was there that this isn't a question that you'll be able to answer, but a lot of comedians Great. feel like once they're, once they've done like a, a set on TV, for example, and X number of million people have seen it, they sort of have to retire that material. Yeah. Have you, do you feel like when you record a show or if someone uploads to the internet, you have to move on from that material? That's like the full stop for you? Uh, if you're on that sort of uh, escalator of, you know, uh, stadium tours, whatever, I think you've, you've probably got to do a new show each year. Although I believe Jimmy Carr doesn't. But anyway, yeah. um, I, uh, I have no evidence, but I, some, I read that somewhere. Uh, like, but, or, uh, you know, some, some don't. I, I don't think that I think I tend to do anyway there might be a bit of old bit of new I don't think it matters I think it's very unlikely any particular audience have seen everything you've ever done <laughs> so um, bit of old bit of new uh, what's wrong with the classics <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah but I like the show I'm doing at the moment uh, most of that has never been done you know, there's a couple of lines that I've like recycled but just because they fit in mm. I think that's fine uh, an, you know you, you sort of make your own it's all got to be new uh, 80, 90%. It's always got a sort of thing to it and it sort of works out. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with recycling, but it doesn't have to be all new. You know, but if I was, you know, at a TV show on every week, and then, mm. then I'll tour what you've just seen. That makes no sense. Mm. So, so obviously not. Yeah, and I assume you, you've never had a writer? You've never had someone write for you? or Not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> Although there were those slips of paper shoved under the door. No. I've never had a writer. What door? Where's the door leading to? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, watch out, I've got the last quick fire questions. Oh, um, great. Okay. The, the quick fire for me. Quick fire. You, you Fingers on buzzers. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what is the best stand-up show you've ever seen? Bzzz. That was, uh, well, I don't know, it wasn't a stand-up show. The funniest show I've ever seen was uh, Mr. Andrew Bailey um, in Edinburgh at the Stand 2. Uh, towards the end of the festival, perhaps the last week, came in. And Andrew Bailey's the most amazing act. Uh, like, no two Andrew Bailey shows are the same. You, uh, sort of indescribable, doesn't really describe it. But anyway, um, lots of props, a lot of props. One of the, the biggest users of props, but making props as well, creating props wherever he goes. But um, so the show began, it was in a round room, 
curtain across the back and it began with his bald head just appearing above the curtain right? and then which is funny enough in itself just above the curtain rather than coming through the curtain and it's all sort of you know there weren't that many in but we were all laughing and then for some reason the, the curtain just collapsed mm-hmm. and it was towards the end of the festival for some reason the stage manager panicked and thought the best thing to do would be to run on and save the curtain <laughs> so he did he grabbed the curtain and took it out I, I don't think this was deliberate and then and there was just these stacks of, of uh, well-ordered props in little boxes <laughs> but he was kind of naked here they all were and he then started trying to do the show by explaining what these things which you all see anyway, I, I and everyone else in that audience we cried with laughter just tears of laughter it, um, it was right on that clowning things have gone wrong it, mm. that's the sort of the area you play so uh, yeah Andrew Rayleigh it was the funniest show I've ever seen um, not not classic stand up though no um, a, lot, a lot of comedians define themselves as comedians but like say they make more money as like a voiceover actor or a TV presenter or something mm. how would your uh, income define you and how would you define yourself uh, poor <laughs> I think is the answer uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Well, that's it. That's it. You don't. You don't want to. You don't want to how would you label? How would you label yourself as an act? Well, as, a, as a comedian, well, yeah, it's, I, I, that's right. Comedian, poet. I do poetry gigs, so uh, yeah. uh, that qualifies me. Poet, comedian. Yeah, comedian. And I do you? Know. And do you make most of your money from gigs, or do you do yep. other things? Okay. So you but, do uh, whatever comes in, though, no, I, but very little comes in other than that. So um, if it did, yeah. <laughs> I'm available. Okay. Uh, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it? Biggest mistake I've made. Uh, I didn't ever. Okay, well, uh, you, uh, classic mistake was um, so. Once I finished doing a gig, um, uh, particularly if I got like technical things like video or computer, or I haven't. It looks like I finished, but I haven't finished till I've got everything packed in the box. Then I can have a drink and relax at the bar or whatever. So I was at Aspen Comedy Festival doing Lee Against Tedium. Very weird gig. A bit weird anyway. One particular bit. Where I said any Catholics in, and from loads of directions at the same time was no. <laughs> And I'd never heard that before. Like, the audience knew, that it, and, it, and it was funny for them as well. No, mm. huh, because we're Jewish. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> this is HBO's weekend. So I didn't know that. It was just like, to me, any Catholics in is just sort of a question. Yeah. It wasn't, and, and to them, it was sort of funny to ask that, even. Anyway, no. But anyway, that's beside the point. Gig finishes. Went well. I'm packing. Get, you know, I've got to get all the cables back in the box. Power down the computer. You know. Uh, bloke comes up to me on the, on the stage and goes, ah, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I'm clearing up. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, the stage manager comes up and goes, uh, do you know who that was? I went, no, no. That's Matt Groening from the... Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I really like The Simpsons. I should, <laughs> <laughs> I should have been more polite. Yeah. So that's a mistake, isn't it? Just that kind of uh, um, being, being in a mode where you haven't finished till... No, you're on adrenaline and you've got to tidy up. That's, that's, yeah. that's at the end of a gig. I'm like that till I've tied it. Till I've, yeah, particularly yeah. props, like they become uh, quite important to you, and it's you know. So that is a mistake. Okay, definitely. Um, what is the common misconception people have about your work? I don't know. How, how would I know that? You know, people tell you. Oh. Uh, or a lot of people read it in reviews, like they read, oh, he does this, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't do that. I, I suppose I, I do read, or, but you know, reviews of. So you, someone reviews you, and then it gets like onto Wikipedia or, or, or somewhere, and it sort of follows you around, like surreal. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm particularly surreal. But anyway, that word follows me around a bit. It doesn't worry me. But yeah. uh, like, am I surreal? I, you know. Do you think you know, the surrealist, da da, those those people? I don't think I'm much like that. 
mainly the last few shows I've just talked about things that have actually happened maybe a little twist on it but it's not I wouldn't mm. say fish <laughs> you know, I have done things like that but not for a long time but that, that word sort of so I suppose that's a, a misconception yeah you go back to what we were talking about before you, you get pigeonholed with something from your from like your early days because people yeah. f- know what you're about who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry the doorman the doorman <laughs> Very important for the atmosphere of a gig. How, how, you, how people are treated as they come in, the door bitch, whatever they call it. You know, uh, how that element isn't, you know, is underrated. You don't think enough about that. You know, it's all about the it's all about creating an atmosphere and uh, that's a, the first person you meet on your way in. Lighting, that's not the person though. So who who's the most underrated? Yeah. Me, well, me, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any favourite up-and-coming acts that you look out for every year at the Fringe? Mm, mm, no. <laughs> no, I like to see you know people getting with it. No, uh, I wish everyone well. Those people I look out for. No, no. no sort of like I don't look out for people. It's sort of like you bump into people. I don't, yeah, yeah. Like I don't have that. Okay. Oh, I don't even read the brochure particularly. Okay. I, mean, I might flick through it once yeah. or something, but I'm not looking out for anyone. Okay. I like I like meeting people. But yeah. that just happens. Yeah, that happens naturally. So I, 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 that's what I like. I like something. Most, I don't like planning to see. Like I have done it, not for years though. But like, I see this, I see this, I see this. Mm. I you know, what are you doing? I'll go and see that. Oh, come, you know, we go, go and mm. see a thing. And, oh, it's a surprise. I haven't read no reviews. And mm. I like to see something fresh without mm. without the planning element. Like if something's got a five star review, it will attract. From personal experience, it attracts the five star review hunters, and they're on hiding to nothing because the person who gave it the five star review uh, saw something that was surprising and amazing, and they've told everyone it's going to be surprising and amazing, and therefore yeah. it can't be. Thank you. It's the same with the one star review hunters. I'll, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll often go and see reviews that get one star because I'm like shows. How about shows? Sorry, I'll go and shows, see, I'll go see reviewers. I'll go and watch a reviewer. <laughs> show. No, I, I love going and see stuff that gets one star review because normally yeah. it, I don't agree with it. I, don't, I genuinely don't. I just think right. you've seen it on an off day, yeah. or you've seen, or you. Or well, no, but it's, it's a kind of it's a comment, yeah. isn't it? If you go and see something, it can't be that bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I it can be sometimes to be what? fair but right. I'm not going to say I've never seen a uh, show that I would not have given a one star review to I did try and bribe a journalist one night in Edinburgh uh, to give me a zero stars review mm. right because I was being very cocky and I don't care what reviewers thought mm. and she went I gave her the fiver mm. <laughs> and she was going to do it and she did it she, oh, she wow. put it in but it, it didn't come out <laughs> like, oh. the next morning the next morning we'll go I, I bribed a journalist to give me a serious <laughs> out of sheer bravado <laughs> I just it was just shooting yourself in the foot yeah, yeah. it was I, I once asked, you know Copstick I once asked Copstick it was Copstick if she, oh, was it <laughs> see this is something I once said to her could you do me a favour could you, Kate could you, no, it's Copstick yeah yeah she, I said to her could you either give me a scathingly awful review yeah, yeah, yeah. and five stars or a one star review that reads amazingly because I just want to see if anyone actually bothers reading it if it's other way around and, yeah. and she always said oh yeah, yeah I'll do that I never did and I was yeah. like oh come on can we just dig well, with I some people this particular reason she did do it but it didn't come out because the, the festival ended before but, just, oh. but anyway next year you can put it on just, yeah. just have a have a translucent uh, tra- transparent best start. not to get drunk and start um, <laughs> challenging <laughs> journalists journalist to give you I once uh, yeah yeah um uh, what do you think? Uh, so actually, let's do this one. Uh, I thought this, this was, that's more than five questions. I know, because I'm just doing the quick fire ones. I, I assume there How be... many quick fire? How many left? Uh, three. Oh, God, come let's on. Let's do three. No! <laughs> oh, sorry, what was the question? Uh, okay. Um, what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? <laughs> 
Uh, have I picked the uh, right? I picked the worst three, haven't I? Yeah. What is the biggest problem in the communist regime? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, don't know. I can't answer. That. And how would you go about solving? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'm not counting that question. Then. No. no I'm just- oh. <laughs> um, what is the best bit of advice a comedian has ever given you? Yeah. I don't know if it's the best bit, but the bit I can remember is it's in um, Nova Scotia, Canada, and there was a, I can't remember his name, but it's a Irish Canadian, which a lot of them are, um, from Prince Edward Island comic, and we were doing a gig in Halifax, and uh, he went out into the room before anyone was in there, it was, a big, it was for Canadian TV gig, but anyway, it was a big theatre, and he wanted to see it, because when the lights are on, you can't see the room, mm. but he wanted to know where it was, and he was sort of pretending to throw baseballs just to sort of get the shape of the room in, yeah. in his mind and he gave me a little trick a little tip which was that if you come on if you think the audience are tired you go hey how you doing are you tired and they'll do their best to prove you wrong <laughs> so that, that's quite a good tip I thought I uh, that is a good tip never used it but yeah you know, it's good to have these things um, what, what was your first artistic scar or stumbling block Artistic scar or stumbling block. It's it, like the first time that you were ever told no, or the first time that something went completely wrong. And how did you overcome that? Like, yeah, like an idea maybe that you thought was amazing and it just never worked. I've not, uh, I've not had that. Like, I think something that never worked. Something I thought was amazing but never worked. There must have been something. <laughs> been loads of things. You know, they sort of drop away. There's things that didn't work for a long time and then did, but you don't. But things that never worked. Never worked. Nope. No. Okay. Can't think of something. L- last question. Uh, if you if you could go back to your past self mm. and give yourself one bit of advice before your first gig, what would it have been? Do something more lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, sir. That was Simon. Hearing how he has no plan is so refreshing. As someone with a plan and who surrounds himself with other driven people with plans, it's great to see someone who has done amazing without one. Also, his aversion to social media was a particular interest of mine. I loved hearing about how he's trying to get away from screens as much as possible. I have a slight addiction to social media, and although I log off as much as I can, like at weekends and in the evenings, I still spend way too much time on my phone and on my computer. Not Living in fear, oh, I loved hearing his thoughts on that. Working out how you can know what you're scared of and then tackling that head on. Great idea. I, I'll, I'll, it could be leaving your management, it could be flyering, but I just I just love the idea of going, you know, I don't want to live in fear. That's a choice. I can choose to not live in fear. I mean, up to a point, don't, you know, do anything illegal or mental, but up to a certain point, you can go, well, I'm not going to live in fear with that anymore. And that, that was really inspiring as well. And actually, if I'm honest with you, that's really helped me go out of my way and beyond what I want, thought I could do joke-wise for the show. Um, normally, I'd encourage... Normally, I'd encourage you to send the guest a thank you tweet, um, but he doesn't really reply to things for gaps of about six months at a time. So um, send me a tweet and say you liked it, uh, and I will pass it on to him somehow, either through text or carrier pigeon or any of the methods that he actually prefers. If you liked this episode, you might also like the episode with Phil Jupitus, who talked about his life after Nevermind the Buzzcocks, or the episode with Amanda Imanucci, who spoke about how he decides who he collaborates with and how he got his first projects and scripts purchased and made. Really amazing episodes, bound to learn everything about that. If you want to learn more about the Edinburgh Festival, I'd also advise, uh, well, the Phil Jupiter's episode is really good for that because he talks about paid versus free 
Free Fringe because he does a show on each every year, but also the episode with Joe Caulfield. Oh, she was full of information and full of the ways that she gets in people. It's amazing. I definitely recommend that episode. As I mentioned, Simon has an Edinburgh show linked in the show notes. I have an Edinburgh show called Every Room is a Panic Room When You Overthink Enough. It's in the show notes. Support us both. Please come down. The RC Industry Podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. There's links to my PayPal and my Patreon in the show notes. Please do support the show in any way you can. Everything helps. Don't assume other people are doing it. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye.